Well, hello there. Gideon here again. I'm on a hunt to hear from the first responders to Jesus' birth. Today, I'm going to hear a story from some shepherds. Now, I never cared too much for sheep myself. They think they own their whole field, and they're always trying to trip me over. But boy, oh boy, did their shepherds have a story to tell. Imagine, God came to the earth, and some of the first people to know about it were a handful of lowly shepherds. What a night that must have been. Come on now, let's go hear about it together. Well, good morning, Berean. I am so glad to be with you today, kicking off a brand new series called First Responders. Uh, so glad for all of you that are joining us in person. Others of you are joining online. We're glad to have you as well. Uh, I just want to take a minute and say thank you to you as a church family. Uh, Pastor Justin has become a friend of mine over the past few years, uh, and both in his leadership and by extension, you as a church family have been an incredible encouragement uh, to me and my church across state lines in that far off place called Pennsylvania. Uh, but so glad to be with you today. Uh, it's been an early morning for me. My alarm went off at 4.45 this morning. I got lots of coffee, lucky for you, and I hopped on 81, drove up here this morning, and so glad to be with you. Although I had an early morning, my family didn't quite sign up for that, so they're not able to be here with me this morning, uh, but I'll introduce you. This is my family. Uh, I'm a girl dad to Lucy, who's almost five, and Emily, who's two and a half. Uh, that's my wife, Heather, there as well, and let me tell you how amazing my wife, Heather, is. My wife is so amazing that uh, two weeks ago when we were visiting my hometown of Detroit, Michigan for Thanksgiving, she surprised me with an early Christmas present. The early Christmas present that Heather surprised me with was to send me to the Michigan-Ohio State game at the big house. I'm a die-hard University of Michigan fan, and I love uh, the University of Michigan, and it's been a rough decade for us, particularly against that team down south called Ohio State, but it just so happened my dad and I got to go to the game, and a week ago yesterday, we pulled off the upset against the Ohio State Buckeyes, which if you know anything about college football, is a huge rivalry. And there's something amazing about being there in the middle of 110,000 screaming college football fans. I lost my voice that day, and eight days later, I feel like it's still kind of making a recovery because it was such an amazing experience. But this picture you see on the right, uh, I am no longer in the stands. That's my dad with me. Uh, but we had migrated from the stands down onto the field as we rushed the field with a lot of excited Michigan fans after that game. And here's what that scene really looked like as we rushed the field at the big house. It was pretty, pretty amazing. You know, there, there's something special about being the first to experience something, especially when you're up close and personal. There, there's something incredible about having firsthand experience where you're actually on site, not just watching from a distance. 
See, maybe you missed the big game of Michigan versus Ohio State. Maybe you saw the highlights afterwards or you read the, the score online. Maybe you're not a Michigan fan at all or maybe you don't even like sports. And if that's the case, then you had a different experience than I did being up close and personal in the midst of this crowd. See, when you don't have the same level of interest or experience, it's just not as special to you. And that's exactly why we're doing this series called First Responders. We're looking at the firsthand experience of those who were some of the first to hear about and see Jesus when he came to earth. See, as you think about the Christmas season, there are a lot of characters that capture our attention. Whether it's Rudolph, Frosty, Kevin McAllister, Charlie Brown, Buddy the Elf, or Ralphie, our Christmas season is filled with a lot of feel-good stories and memorable characters. And to be honest, if we're not careful, the story of Jesus can simply get lost in the noise. And even if it doesn't get lost in the noise, Sometimes, if we're honest, it can feel so familiar that we lose the wonder of it. I was reading just the other day, one author wrote this, the greatest threat to Christmas is not secularism or consumerism, but our own boredom with the most magnificent story ever told. See, the journey that we're going to be on over the next three weeks is diving back into the original story, the narrative of what it was like when God became man, when Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and who were some of the very first people to encounter him. Today, we're going to be looking at the account of the shepherds. So to kind of set the stage and give you the setting of where we're headed, if you could go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. I want to start by giving you the setting of this narrative. Uh, if you've got one of the Bibles in the chairs, you can find Luke chapter 2 on page 822. And we would love for you to grab that Bible, to use that, even take that home with you today to not just read the Bible when we're together, but to spend time in the Word of God when we're apart as well. Luke chapter 2, we're diving in in verse 8 this morning. Go ahead and check it out with me. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Think for a minute as if this was the first time that you heard this story. Think about what a miraculous encounter this was for those shepherds. But putting yourself in their sandals, 
Think about how you might have reacted had your night been interrupted as theirs was. See, as we, as we look at the passage, we're told in verse 9 that when the angel of the Lord appeared and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, they were terrified. But can you blame them? I mean, this is a powerful, supernatural, magnificent encounter that was completely unexpected to a completely unexpected audience. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them and said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. What is that good news? Well, verse 11 tells us that the Savior, and not just any old Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Think with me for a minute about the anticipation of this moment. You know, we're very familiar to this story. If you've had any type of church or religious background, this is probably not a new story to you. But think about for a minute if it wasn't familiar to us. Think about viewing this for the first time. Think about the anticipation and the longing that these shepherds, along with the rest of Jewish society, would have had. Well, that's anticipation that we can relate to. Because in anticipation, you and I are often looking forward to something. You think about the anticipation of graduating from school, crossing that threshold of education. Maybe you have the anticipation of buying a house. Maybe there's anticipation of getting a new job, getting married, or becoming a parent. There's a lot of anticipation that typically characterizes our lives. But the anticipation that we have isn't as long as the anticipation that they would have had. See, thousands of years before this moment, a savior was promised in Genesis chapter three. And from Genesis three on, people had been watching and waiting, longing for this promised savior to come. Over the centuries, people waited. At times, they waited well. And at other times, they got frustrated and distracted in their waiting. Well, the moment of waiting that these shepherds, along with the whole nation of Israel, found themselves in at this point was a waiting in the midst of silence. See, God had been silent for 400 years leading up to this point. But the silence had finally been broken. The Savior was finally here. Thousands of years after a savior, the promised one was, was proclaimed. That promise was finally delivered this night. And it was first announced to these shepherds. See, the, the savior that is referenced here is not just the savior for those shepherds. Not just the savior for the nation of Israel. But when Jesus came, he came as the savior for all mankind. That's why this is proclaimed as good news. The word gospel that we use actually means good news. What is this good news of this promised Savior who has finally come? It's the good news that God has not washed his hands of us. It's the good news that with God, there is never a point of no return. God did not sit back and say, I'm done. 
You've strayed too far. You're too broken. You're too messed up. Now you simply have to face the consequences of your own choices. No, the gospel is the good news of a God who wasn't satisfied to stay separate and distance. It's the good news of God who left heaven, came to earth to draw near. God left the glories of heaven. Jesus became fully God and fully man when he drew near. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, that God drew near to us. Jesus came as the promised Savior. But he wasn't just born as a cute baby who lived any old random life. No, Jesus grew up. And as Jesus grew, we're told that he grew in wisdom and stature and grew in favor with God and man. Eventually, Jesus launches his public ministry. And he walked and taught among people for three and a half years, along with a group of disciples that he gathered. But Jesus wasn't just a a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. No, Jesus was the promised savior. And the only way possible for Jesus to save us was for him to step in and pay the price. That's the whole reason Jesus came in the first place. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus came, he lived, he taught, but then he died in our place for our sins. Because of all of the rebellious choices that you and I have made against God, where we have chosen to go our way rather than go God's way, a price had to be paid. And rather than leaving us to pay the price, Jesus stepped in and he said, I will pay the price for you. The one who never sinned paid the price for sin. Jesus died in our place for our sins, but he didn't just die. He then rose again three days later, conquering sin, conquering death, and now freely offering a relationship with God to anyone who chooses to put their faith and trust in Jesus alone to save them. That's what makes the news good. That's what makes Christmas worth celebrating because the promised savior had come. And when Jesus came, part of the proclamation was that this would bring great joy for all people. See, Jesus came for all people. He didn't just come for a select few or a special class of people. He didn't come for the worthy or deserving and hang everybody else out to dry. Jesus came for all people. See, as you think about it, each of us come from a a variety of different backgrounds. We all come from various family dynamics, geographic locations, ethnic backgrounds, and much more. And all of that produces a variety of cultures in our lives, which means that gathered here today, we are a highly diverse group of people. But here's one of the ways that we see that that proclamation that was made thousands of years ago that this news would be great joy for all people. Here's how we see that that still rings true today. J.D. Greer wrote this. Multicultural diversity is in the very DNA of the gospel. We see this reflected even in how the gospel is spread down through history. Christianity has roughly 20% of its followers in Africa, 20% in Asia, 20% in Europe, 20% in North America, and 20% in South America. Every other major religion has at least 80% of its followers concentrated on one continent. Christianity, statistically speaking, has no dominant culture. It is the most diverse movement in history. 
And in a world that is ravished by racism and division, I find a lot of hope in reconciliation as a fruit of the gospel and seeing all of the ways that the gospel goes forward in so many different places. See, Jesus came for all people. Some of us sitting here today have experienced the deep and immense pain of being unwanted by people. Maybe for you, the the Christmas season isn't filled with joy and happiness, but maybe the Christmas season for you brings an immense amount of pain, grief, despair, and difficulty because it's a reminder of rejection and abandonment. Maybe that rejection and abandonment has left you feeling unwanted. And sometimes when we find ourselves unwanted by people, then we transfer that over to our view of God. And we wonder if we're unwanted by God because we're unlovable to him or that we're simply too far gone. If that's where you are today, hear me clearly. To Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done, or where you find yourself today, because Jesus came for all people. Jesus came for the successful and the failing. He came for those that have succeeded and those that have failed. He came for those that are broken, for those that are messy. Jesus came not for the worthy and deserving, not for just a select ethnic group, not for the impressive with all kinds of accolades. No, Jesus came for all people. And that brings great joy to each and every one of us this Christmas season. We keep going in this story and we we land at verse 13 and we see that the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God and the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. We see this proclamation and this declaration of peace. And that's something that you and I can resonate with on a deep level. We all have a deep longing for peace. We see the brokenness externally in our world. We feel our own brokenness internally as well. And all of that produces this deep longing for peace a settledness, something that will finally bring rest to our ever-wavering souls. The Jewish word for peace was shalom. This is what Warren Wearsby writes about that. It says the Jewish word shalom or peace means much more than just a truce in the battles of life. It means well-being, health, prosperity, security, soundness, and completeness. Don't miss this. It has to do more with character than circumstances. He goes on and he says, life was difficult at that time, just as it is today. Taxes were high. Unemployment was high. Morals were slipping lower. And the military state was in control. Roman law, Greek philosophy, and even Jewish religion could not meet the needs of men's hearts. Then God sent his son. And when God's son came, there was a proclamation and a declaration of peace. That peace was not this elusive thing that we would endlessly chase for the rest of our lives. What's amazing 
is in the verses we read earlier in our gathering here. It's that Jesus doesn't just bring peace. He himself is our peace and is called the Prince of Peace. So if you are here and you find yourself longing for and searching for peace, know that Jesus brought the gift of peace because he himself is the source of peace, both physically and spiritually. What's amazing about this moment that we've entered into in this passage is that some of the least important were the first to hear what's most important. Here was the reality for shepherds in that time. Shepherds had no status in their culture. They were uneducated, they smelled lousy, and were considered low class by everyone else around them. They had a hard, thankless job which turned out to be quite dangerous at times because it was their responsibility to protect these ever-wandering sheep from robbers and predatory animals. Well, because shepherds moved around a lot in a transient vocation, they were isolated and forgotten. They were treated with contempt and mistrust and often accused of stealing throughout their travels. As a result, the testimony of shepherds was not even considered to be credible in a Roman court of law because of the nature of their work. They, the, what shepherds did is they found themselves in Bethlehem raising sheep for temple sacrifices. But what was insane was that they themselves were restricted from the very worship that they contributed to. Some of the least important were the first to hear what's most important, that the Savior of the world, who had been promised for generations, had finally come. So again, place yourself in that moment. How would you respond? Let's look at how they responded in verse 15. Go ahead and check it out. Luke chapter 2 and verse 15 says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel told them. So their immediate response is, let's go see. There was a proclamation or a promise given to them and their immediate response as soon as the angels leave is they say, let's go see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Now, this was not an easy thing for them to do. They had to travel a distance to Bethlehem. They had to travel from the countryside where they were tending their sheep back into the city. They actually left their flocks which was a pretty scary thing to do because their flocks constituted their livelihood. But they didn't care. They had to go see this thing. But they also had to search diligently. See, elsewhere in the Christmas narrative, we're told about the wise men who had a star to guide them. 
The shepherds didn't have that, that same luxury. They had to search and search diligently to find this promised Savior. So in verse 17, they, they find him. And in verse 18, we see their response continued. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel said to them about this child. Think, think for a minute about what we just said about shepherds. Shepherd, shepherds lived on the fringes of society's acceptance. Nobody wanted to listen to shepherds. Remember, the legal system didn't even count the, the witness of a shepherd to be credible in a court of law. Yet they were the very first ones to hear about and to see this. They were the very first ones sent out by God to tell others about this incredible news that had been given and entrusted to them. They didn't care. They, they didn't care about their low status in society. They didn't care that they weren't the most polished, educated, articulate type. They didn't care that there were all of these social barriers standing between them and most of the people that they interacted with. No, they didn't care because they had such a powerful experience. They couldn't help but share it. They had a life-changing encounter. And when you have a life-changing encounter, you can't keep it to yourself. Especially when it's the type of encounter that doesn't just change your life, but can change others' lives as well. Verse 20 concludes in this passage and says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. See, some of the least important were the first to not only hear, but also to see what's most important. They got to see Jesus. And everything changed from that point forward. But again, don't miss the irony of this. God didn't choose the most powerful, or the most polished, or the most prepared to have this encounter or to share this encounter. He chose the shepherds. See, I think ultimately what we learn from this is the importance of the message determines the importance of the mission. Think with me for a second. Do you really believe that Jesus is the only hope for our world? You do. As do I. But do our lives, do our words, do our relationships and our interactions reflect that? Because the hearty amen that you just gave underscores that you believe in the importance of the message. And if you believe in the importance of that message, that has now determined the importance of the mission that Jesus has given to us to make disciples and to tell others about him. There was a startling and a, sta a sad study done a few years ago that found that 90% of Christians in America go to their graves having never shared Jesus with anyone. You might be sitting here today and you say, yeah, that stat would be representative of me. Well, here's the, the good news. We don't have to look back at what's been in shame, but we can change from this point forward. 
because as the message of Jesus grips your heart in new and in fresh ways, as this isn't just some feel-good Christmas story, this isn't just some familiar, monotonous narrative. No, this is the most important message ever given to humankind when the importance of that message grips your heart. It changes your value system. It reshapes your priorities. It will rearrange your schedule and it will change the way that you approach relationships with those who are close to you, but far from God. Because see, the family that you were born into, the school you attend, the neighborhood in which you live, the the set of relationships that you have, none of those things are by accident. God has placed you within those on purpose and for a purpose to be able to share the life-changing message of Jesus with them. Now, there are a number of fears and objections that can stop us from that. You might say, well, I, I don't know that I'm good enough. My life is kind of a mess. You might say, well, I don't know that I know enough. I'm not very skilled and articulate in my words. You might say, well, I'm really afraid of, what if I get asked a question I don't know the answer to? You might say, well, I, I want to wait around a little bit to, to make sure that, that the message of Jesus really sticks in my life before I share it with others. Think back to what we learned from the example of these shepherds. They were the bottom of the list who anyone would have ever expected to be entrusted with this message but they were the very ones that God chose to use. You're more educated than a shepherd was in the first century. You're more articulate than those shepherds would have been in the first century. You definitely smell better than those shepherds would have in the first century. So if God can use the lowest class of society, I believe that he can use each and every one of us. Because if Jesus is worth following, then Jesus is worth sharing. See, there are so many opportunities that this season naturally brings to us. In some ways, this is one of the best seasons to be able to share Jesus with people. Chances are that you're going to share some type of Christmas moment with people in your life that are close to you, but far from God. Maybe, Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a friend that you grew up with. Maybe it's a coworker at an office party. Whatever it is, you're going to have so many opportunities. But the encouraging thing is you're not doing it alone. Because while we're looking at what happened when Jesus came, the very last words of Jesus before he left earth to go back to heaven was he told us that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. And in light of that authority, he says, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So as you step out to represent Jesus, as you step out to live on mission for Jesus, as you step out to advance the message of Jesus in the lives of people that are close to you but far from God, you're not doing it alone. Jesus promises that he would be with you and he's placed his Holy Spirit inside of us in order to equip and empower us to do what we would never be able to do naturally through our own strength and our own efforts. 
See, the importance of the message determines the importance of the mission. So let me encourage you to stop and to think about this question. How do you need to respond to the message and mission of Jesus? This is such a busy, stressful, loud, and packed out season in our culture. And in the midst of that noise and that stress and that busyness, sometimes we can fail to pause and to ponder, to get some space and some silence, to be able to think about what am I going to do? See, James, the brother of Jesus, when he wrote, he said that we are called not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, to actually put into practice the things that we know as you and I seek to be obedient disciples of Jesus. So maybe you accepted the message of Jesus in the last couple years. Maybe you accepted the, the message of Jesus several decades ago. Whether you're newer to faith or a longtime follower of Jesus, each and every one of us are called to live on mission and to tell others about Jesus. Maybe take a minute and just think through how do you need to respond to the mission that Jesus has given to you? But maybe you're here today and as we talk about the coming of Jesus and all that that means, the peace that he gives, the salvation that he offers. Maybe you sit here today and you say, Tim, if I'm honest, I've heard a lot about Jesus over the years. I'm quite familiar with the Christmas narrative, but I've never reached a point in my life where I've put my faith and trust in Jesus to rescue me. Maybe today is the day where you identify that despite all of your good works and all of your trying and all of your religious acts, you have exhausted yourself trying to reach God on your own and you've realized that you will never be able to do that. But maybe today you're having that spiritual light bulb moment where you realize that that's okay. You were never meant to reach God on your own because God has reached down to you in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf. See what God calls us to do and accepting the message of Jesus is to give up and to stop trying to reach God on our own, but to come to him in faith and say, Jesus, I believe in your perfect life, death, and resurrection on my behalf to restore my relationship with God. Maybe today you're in a point where you say, I'm ready to cross that line of faith. If so, don't leave here today without doing that. Feel free to talk to Pastor Chuck, talk to me, talk to, to, talk to the person who brought you maybe and, and talk about what it would look like for you to enter into relationship with Jesus because the whole reason that Christmas matters is because Jesus came so that you and I can be restored to right relationship with him. But take about 30 seconds. I want you to think about that question. Maybe you could just reflect on that or in silent prayer, ask God, what is he calling you to? How do you need to respond to the message and mission of Jesus today? Take about 30 seconds, think through that, and then I'll wrap us up with some prayer.
God, if we're honest today, even 30 seconds of silence feels pretty awkward to us. Because we oftentimes don't escape from the busyness and the noise of our lives. But I pray that you would protect us this Christmas season from getting, from Jesus getting lost in the noise. I pray that you would help us to be people who don't just hear your word and absorb it, but help us to be a group of people who hear your word and actually live differently in light of it. I pray that you would posture our hearts to be people who enter into time with your word, wanting to change. And may we be a group of people who walk away from your word, willing to change. God, we look around in this season and we see so many people that are desperate for hope and peace. And Jesus, you have given to us those things in the gospel. So I pray that this Christmas season, you would help us to be intentional, to be able to share Jesus with others. Help our fear not to short circuit that. Help the objections that can very quickly pile up in our minds to not stop us. But may we in faith introduce people to the faith that they can have in Jesus and have a life-changing encounter based on that. God, I am so thankful for Berean Bible. You are working in incredible ways here. This is a gospel lighthouse in this community. But it's not just a gospel lighthouse as a location. There are hundreds of gospel lighthouses that scatter from this place into all of the different workplaces and neighborhoods and families and classrooms that you have sovereignly and strategically placed them. So God, I pray that this week we would see people come to Jesus because we have been obedient and focused to share the message of Jesus with others. Jesus, we are beyond grateful and everything that we do is in a grateful response to everything you are and everything that you did on our behalf to bring us into relationship with God. Help us this Christmas season to be defined by gratitude as we continue to know you and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.